coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today for a bonus preseason mailbag episode is my co-host, Curtis. And so we lied to you guys just a little bit. We initially said a couple weeks back that the August mailbag would be the last time for you guys to get questions in before the 2020 season started, but... With all the different developments with Georgia's fall camp and really the larger college football world in general right now, we've still been getting a number of questions and we honestly just didn't want to ignore those. So we decided, what the heck, let's just go ahead and officially open it up one more time and give you guys one final chance to get in your questions with all the new information that we have to work with that's kind of come out over the past couple weeks. And then, once the season gets underway here in just a little over a week, we're going to be running a weekly mailbag episode to give you guys a chance to have your voice heard here on the Glory UGA podcast all season long. And we really wanted to try to get all these questions in in one episode, but we kind of underestimated the number of questions that would be sent in. We've got, as of right now, like 17 or 18 questions that are sent in, and there's no way that we can do those questions anything close to justice in just one episode in, in the time frame that we have to record it. Because we, have a, we always have a very tight recording window with all of our different schedules and the, and the things that we've got going on. So we are going to break this into two episodes. We only planned originally for three episodes this week. We have our schedule completely planned out through this week and next week and the start of the season. You guys know what we're going to be doing during the season with our four episodes and kind of our structure there. But we're going to throw in a bonus episode this week. You guys got a bonus episode last week, and there's going to be another one this week. So you get this first mailbag episode, and you'll get another one tomorrow. And then we'll end the week with our Florida edition of the Scouting the Enemy series. This is the one that we've been working on for a while, and it'll be the final edition of our Scouting the Enemy series for the 2020 preseason, which is kind of bittersweet because, you know, as much work as that is to do, it's still a lot of fun to dig into those teams. We know you guys enjoy it, but it also means that the college football season, at least the SEC football season, is just around the corner. So we are very excited about that, and we'll have that for you guys at the end of this week. And while we've got you guys here, you know that we always appreciate all of your support. We cannot thank you guys enough. We've said it many, many times because it's true. We, We would not have this show if it was not for you guys. But I do have a favor of some sort, I guess, to ask of you guys. So I don't know how true this is, but we got a DM from one of our listeners a little bit earlier today, and he let me know that uh, Ryan Nabolsi, who's a guy that runs the UGASports.com, I think it's their rival site, so apparently he put a post out on their message board today talking about the idea of maybe building a UGA sports podcasting network. And he was kind of asking for suggestions on what Georgia podcast, Georgia-centric podcast, people would be interested in kind of having associated with that site if they did indeed put together a UGA sports podcasting network. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know Roddy at all. Uh, but if it does happen, it would be kind of cool to be associated with that. So... So if you're on social media, if that's your thing, it'd be awesome if you guys like the show. We hope you enjoy the show if you're listening. We always say like, 
If you don't enjoy the show, we would hate for you to be listening because that's just kind of torturing yourself. It's kind of masochistic. But if you do enjoy the show, uh, we always appreciate all your support. It would also be awesome and really helpful if, if that's something they do end up doing. Just, hey, kind of help us promote the show on social media. Let Roddy know that we are a show that you guys enjoy listening to and that you would enjoy seeing us associated with the, the UGA Rivals website. That would be awesome. Again, I don't know if this is something that's going to happen. I just got a DM about it. And maybe it's just an idea he was throwing out there. I don't really know. But hey, it's worth a shot, right? So, you know, we try to give you guys the absolute best content that we can. But we are, you know, with our resources, we are certainly limited in some of the things that we can do. And if we were associated with a site like that, they do indeed go in that direction. It would really allow us to up our game even more and make this show just an even better experience for you guys, bring you better content, more content bring you guys different kind of guests, things like that. So that'd be really cool. So yeah, if you're on social media and you feel comfortable helping us promote ourselves a little bit and, and maybe potentially get aligned with with a site like UGA Sports, uh, let Ryan Nabolsi know about it on Twitter. That would be that would be so awesome, guys. That'd be really helpful and, and we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. But we got part one of the final preseason mailbag up for you guys today. We've got a ton of questions to get to, even if we are breaking this into two parts. So let's go ahead and get rolling. And we're going to start with, I think this is a great question, because honestly, this has been on my mind over the past couple days coming out of that last fall scrimmage that took place last Saturday. So Jamie, this is a great one to start with. really appreciate the question, Jamie. He asked, who do you think the starters will be week one at Arkansas? This is a great question. Now, there are certainly some positions where we're pretty confident to almost certain who the guys are going to be but there are some other positions that it's still up in the air right now it's kind of a mystery and obviously the big one that we talked about on the first episode of this week is the quarterback position so Kurt let's start there Dwan Mathis we know over the weekend got the majority of the snaps with the first team offense in the first half of Saturday's final fall scrimmage but we don't know if that's because he is he leading the job. Is it as Kirby said today that he's just he was just next up on the rotation? Do we buy that, or is it more so related to JT Daniels and his injury? The fact that he still hasn't technically been cleared from that ACL injury that he suffered. I mean, uh, pretty much a year ago now. Actually, over a year ago now. I think he had his surgery last year, like September 25th. So he's just about a full year out from that procedure. So you'd think he'd be getting cleared here relatively quickly. And it's weird. In Kirby's press conferences, he seems to think, he seems to suggest, and that's his expectation, that he's going to get cleared before the season. But today in his press conference, he said it was going to be a game-time decision for week one. So Kurt, taking all of that into account, who do you think is going to trot out there for the first offensive snap of the year against Arkansas? If I had to guess right now, I'm probably just going to go with Juwan. I think it's a safe bet. And um, right now, until especially until you know what the health is of JT Daniels, I think that Dwan's a safe bet. Yeah, I'm not 100% confident either way. I think Dwan Mathis is where I'm going to go with this. I think you're right. It's probably the safer bet now based off the most recent information that we have to work with. I think all indications are, are pointing that direction. If you start with the fact that, yeah, okay, in the in the final scrimmage, he got the, the vast majority, really all the, from what I heard, all the first team reps in the first half of the scrimmage last Saturday. And, and yeah, we talked about the different scenarios, the different things that might be behind that in the show earlier in the week. But the fact is the guy got the, pretty much all the reps with the one offense 
there in the first half of that scrimmage. So I think that's a strong indicator in the work coming out of practice today on Tuesday was that he got the vast majority of the reps with the number one offense. JT Daniels did not get near as many, really didn't get a ton at all. I still lean towards the biggest factor in this being the fact that JT Daniels, according to Kirby Smart, has still not been officially cleared. Yes, as I said, Kirby seems to think that he's going to be cleared. He doesn't seem to be too worried about it. But when you call it a game-time decision for week one with JT Daniels getting cleared, you can't count on that. And at this point, here we are a week and a half out from the first game, you have got to start getting one of the quarterbacks the vast majority of the reps with the number one offense. Whoever you plan on that guy being, for whatever reason, whether it's performance-related or injury-related, you've got to get one guy ready. And even if you think JT Daniels is the guy you want to go with long-term this season, I'm not saying that's the case, but even if you think it is, if you're the coach and that's the guy that you're most confident with, if the guy has not been cleared yet, even if you think he's going to be cleared, thinking he's going to be cleared is not a good enough reason to give him the majority of the first team reps in practice leading up to the first game. Because let's say, what if? What if he does not get cleared? You can think he's going to get cleared, but if he does not get cleared, then you've just put yourself in a really tough situation. We're going to have to start a redshirt freshman quarterback who's never taken a snap in a real game, was was out with an injury almost all of last year, a very serious injury, and he didn't get the majority of the first team reps in practice to prepare him for this situation. That's not a good situation to put him in. That's not a good situation to put your offense in. And again, maybe it is that Dewan Mathis, all this is going on is that he's just outperforming JT Daniels. That certainly is a possibility. I can't discount that. But just reading between the lines here, it just seems like we don't 100% know if Daniels will be cleared. We seem to think he will be, but if he's not going to be cleared, if you don't know for sure, you simply cannot be giving the guy the vast majority of the first team reps a week and a half out from the first game. You've got to be prepared. And you've got to go with a guy that you know is going to be out there and ready to play, barring some horrible, tragic injury happening in practice. So yeah, for all those reasons right now, I'm still sticking with Dewan Mathis. I don't know if that's going to go on for the full season. I think once JT Daniels does get clear, I could certainly see him working into games and let's just kind of see how the, how the chips may fall there. But I think in game one against Arkansas, yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to Juan Mathis. Then the running back position, we talked about this uh, a little bit on Monday's episode as well. So Curtis, we've got really, I think the top two options here are either Zamir White or James Cook. So who do you see getting the nod to open the season as the starter running back? I think I went James Cook, and I'm just going to stick with that bet to be consistent um, after last, you know, what I said in the show last or at the beginning of this week. So I think that's why I'm going to stick with him. Yeah, like I said on Monday's show, I think this is kind of a toss-up. I think really it ultimately comes down to what personnel group that we're going to use on that first play from scrimmage, what the script says. Like, what is the first play we're going to run? Does that fit James Cook's skill set, or does that fit Zamir White's skill set more? I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's going to be. I think it's going to be a situation where game by game, it could be a different guy starting the game, just depending on how they perform in practice. Kirby's obviously big on competition. And also just kind of what we want to do on that first drive, how we script things. So, look, yeah, you, you're going to go with your consistency. You're going to say James Cook, since that's who you went with on Monday's episode. And since I went with Zamir White, I'm going to be consistent here, and I'm going to stick with him as well. Again, though, I just think it depends on what we want to come out and run on that very first play and what we want to do on that first drive. So I'm going to go very hesitantly with Zamir White here, but it could be either guy for sure. At wide receiver, Kurt, we know that George Pickens is going to be one of those guys. There's no doubt there. The question here is, who's going to be that Z receiver, that starting Z receiver opposite George Pickens? Let's just assume, let's say it's a two-receiver set. It could be a three-receiver set. But let's say it's it's a two-receiver set. We've got George Pickens at the X. Who's going to be starting opposite him at the Z position? 
My guess is I'm going to go with Kiaris to start the year. Okay, Kiaris Jackson. I, I think that's a good pick and maybe a safe pick, but but it's certainly possible. I'm going to go with the guy that we talked a lot about on the episode on Monday, and that's Jermaine Burton. And it's kind of like, in a lot of ways, the same situation that we see with Dewan Mathis. I mean, it's not the exact same situation, obviously, but it's similar in that the most recent information would seem to indicate that Jermaine Burton is going to be the guy that's going to get, or at least he has a strong chance to be the guy that comes out there and starts the game opposite George Pickens at that Z position. To me, everything just adds up when you look at Jermaine Burton. If you watch his tape back when he's coming to high school, you watch his tape and you go, dude, that guy is a legit receiver. He's explosive. He can get open. He has strong hands. He's a technician. He can get off press coverage. All the things receivers have to be able to do, you watch on tape and you see it. Then you hear the coaches he works with, the trainers he he works with, they rave about him. Then you start to hear some really good things about him coming out of summer workouts. And you hear that a lot about a lot of different guys. So you take that with a grain of salt. But then the most recent information is you see that he's coming out there with the number one offense in the first half of the final fall scrimmage. Well, that says something to me. Now, again, with, with just like with quarterback, it doesn't mean necessarily that he's absolutely going to be the starter. But if you go off the most recent information, you look at all the indicators, it just seems to me that everything is adding up for this guy. If he's not going to be the starter, at the very least, it's adding up for him to be a major contributor for this offense. But right now, based on the information we have most recently here, I'm going to say he's going to open the season as a starter at the Z wide receiver position. So that's what I'm going to go with there. I'm not necessarily a 1,000% confident in that, but that's what I'm going with right now. At tight end, we don't really know right now. Obviously, if it's going to be Trey McKinney, that seems pretty clear right now. Curry was raving about him, but he had his knee scoped a couple weeks ago. It looks like he's going to miss week one. And that's a shame because I think he was going to have a, a really big year for us. But that's okay. From what I understand, it seems like he's going to be out for week one. There's a really good chance to get back for week two against Auburn. And, and certainly we need him in that game. But right now it looks like it's going to be either, we don't know for sure, but it's either going to be John Fitzpatrick or true freshman Darnell Washington, the big, huge, giant of a man, Darnell Washington. Right now it looks like it's going to be Fitzpatrick, but Darnell Washington is certainly going to get a lot of snaps as well. But, Kerr, I want to look at the offensive line here. Obviously, we lose a lot of key pieces off of last year's offensive line. We do have some new faces up front, but we also have some guys that have been around the block, who've been in the program for a while, and they're now getting their opportunity to step into the limelight and take over starting roles. So let's start from left to right, start from left tackle, kind of just work our way over to right tackle. What's your starting offensive line look like? Left tackle, I'm going with Jamari Salier. Then left guard, I'm going to go with Justin Schaefer, Trey Hill, Ben Cleveland, and I guess Condon because that's the, the consistent name you've heard at right tackle lately. Yeah, I agree with you there on all accounts. That's the lineup that we've basically seen in every single fall scrimmage from the start of fall camp to where we are right now, just about a week and a half out from the first game. So I don't see any reason why that's going to change. Those guys have been pretty consistent with that first unit. We've had some guys that have got opportunities there. We've seen Warren McClendon get an opportunity at right tackle, and it's kind of been a battle. It's been a battle with Owen Condon, but for now it seems like Condon has held him off. I certainly obviously feel very confident that Trey Hill is going to be the guy at center, Cleveland at right at right guard. Those are two I feel most confident in. Salyer, I feel really confident he's going to be the left tackle. I don't want to see anyone challenging him right now. I know Xavier Trust has been working with the twos there. And then Justin Schaefer, I feel pretty good about him at left guard as well. That right tackle position is the one that we said coming in the, into the preseason that that would be a wide open battle. And it certainly has been, but Owen Condon is stepped to the plate. 
got himself in shape and put himself in position to be the starter to open the season. So I, I totally agree with everything you said there on the offensive front, Kurt. But let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, and let's start with the defensive line here. Let's, so let's let's take three defensive linemen. Let's say we've got a nose guard, a three-tech interior defensive tackle, and a five-tech defensive end. So who do you see starting at nose guard? It's got to be Jordan Davis, right? Yeah, no question it's Jordan Davis. Yeah, I think that one's a pretty open and shut case there. I think he's going to be an absolute monster up front for us this year and could push to be maybe the best player in the entire defense. I think that highly of what we have there with Jordan Davis. This guy's continued to develop. He's got himself in great shape right now, and I'm ready for him to have a monster year for us up front. What about the three-tech demons attack or that interior demons attack spot? We've got a couple guys that I think could push for some time there. We've got some veterans coming back. we also got some really talented young players coming in. Who do you see opening the season as the starter at the three-tech defensive tackle? Um, right now, I think I'm going to go with Devontae Wyatt. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking at here as well. I agree with you on this one. He's a guy that I think has got the right combination of experience and talent. I think he was – I think you make a case that he, outside of Jordan Davis, was our most talented interior defensive lineman last year, a guy that, that was – more the total package than anyone we had in terms of being able to play the run, but also being kind of explosive off the ball and being, giving us a little bit more of that pass rush from that interior defensive tackle spot, which is something that we've kind of lacked in, in recent years. That's been a deficiency for us. I think he gave us more of that than we've seen in a little while here, at least in, in Kirby Smart's tenure. So I think that combination of talent plus experience gives him the edge right now. Julian Rochester gets some look, looks. I think Julian Rochester also get some looks as the the backup at, at the Zero Tech nose guard behind Jordan Davis. He's played that position before. But he'll factor in there as well. Jalen Carter, as a true freshman, is certainly going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of playing time. And maybe by the end of the year, he takes over that spot. I think he's going to play a lot, even early on. But right now, to open the season as a starter at the three-tech defensive tackle spot, I'm going to go with, with Devontae Wyatt as well. And that leaves us with the five-tech defensive end. Malik Herring was the guy that really manned that spot last year, along with David Marshall as well. But it was really Malik Herring's spot. Kurt, do you see anything changing at that position this year in terms of who's going to be the starter? Yeah, I'm going to go with Malik Herring. Um, I definitely think that he has some of the younger guys pushing him, but I think he'll be the one to start. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's that's pretty obvious to me. He's going to be that guy. I think he was one of the most underrated players in our defense last year. He actually graded out as the highest graded player in our defense last year, at least among the returning players, according to Pro Football Focus. This is a guy that I think could break out for us this year. And I don't know, that's tough to say because, look, if you play the five-tech defensive end for us, that's not a, a glamour position. You do a lot of the dirty work, but it's an incredibly important position. But you don't get a lot of the sacks. You don't get a lot of the publicity. You're not getting all that attention. But it's such a critical position that we need a guy that has a stud there. And Jonathan Ledbetter was that guy for us in, in 2017, 2018. And Malik Herring came on last year. We saw that from him, and I think he's going to just continue to build off of that this year and have a really big year for us. I think he's an NFL player. There's really no doubt in my mind. But all right, that takes us to the inside linebacker position, Curtis. I think both you and I are in agreement that Monty Rice pretty clearly is going to man one of those starting inside linebacker jobs just, just like he did last year. We've got to replace Tay Crowder. The two leading options right now are Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker. Who do you see winning the battle between those two in opening the season as the starter alongside Monty Rice at inside linebacker? I'm going to go with N'Kobe Dean starting. Um, I think the one thing that really helps is the fact that I don't know what exactly went down, but um, it seems like Quay Walker was a little bit in the doghouse after the Sugar Bowl where he didn't even travel with the team. And you saw um, 
Nakobe get quite a few reps, you know, because the guy down there um, as out of the backup role. So I think that's why I'm going to go with him to start. Yeah, I think Nakobe Dean is the safe bet right now. You're right, Quay Walker, who I'm extraordinarily high on. I've been pretty open about that. I, I think he's a great prospect. I think he can be a really, really big time player. But with him kind of getting in the doghouse towards the end of last season, missing the Sugar Bowl for undisclosed reasons, and I think we all kind of have an idea of what an undisclosed reasons could possibly be. Usually it's not a very good thing, whatever it is. So that kind of got him in the doghouse there a little bit, but he's certainly getting a lot of reps with, with the first team as well. He's working with the Kobe. They're rotating there. And those guys are going to rotate a lot at that position, especially early in the season to kind of see who might emerge. But I'm with you. I think Nicobe Dean is a safer bet right now to start alongside Monty Rice. This guy just does all the little things. He does things the right way. Uh, I'm not saying that Quay's not a great kid. I'm not saying that at all. But Nicobe, uh, he he he's just a, he's a, he's a special kind of kid, man. This is a guy that was he was either salutatorian or valedictorian of his high school, Mississippi. He's got a, a really high GPA at the University of Georgia, taking some really tough classes. I know he posted over the summer. I think he got an A in uh, I think it was Calc two which I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that would be because math ain't my thing, not my thing. So he's a smart guy. He's a good kid. He works hard. Yeah, he might be a little undersized, but he makes up for that with his instincts. He's a guy that can play between the tackles. He's also a guy that that is really, really good in space as well in coverage. He was our third down inside linebacker for most of the year last year. So he's a guy that right now that I think is the safer bet to start at inside linebacker along with Monty Rice. All right, an outside linebacker. And guys, for the purposes of, of this exercise, we're just going to say that we're operating out of what has really become our base defense, which is our nickel defense. So we typically only have one outside linebacker on the field at a time with our nickel defense, which is what we play the majority of the time, especially on those standard downs. You just don't play a lot of teams where you're playing your old school base 3-4 defense, where you have three, three defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, and two inside linebackers. You don't see that very often these days. So Last year, that guy was Aziz Ojulari the vast majority of the time. Yeah, Nolan got some opportunities, so did Jermaine Johnson, but it was Aziz. He was the guy there for the, mo- for the majority of the snaps when we were in that nickel package. But Curtis, certainly Jermaine Johnson's come on. Nolan Smith is, is entering his second year after being the number one player in the country a couple years back in his recruiting cycle. Is this still Aziz's job right now to open the season? To start with, yes. I think that other guys in the end may get more reps, but I definitely think Aziz is going to be the starter at that position. Yeah, I know it's boring for our listeners out there for me to agree with you on on most of these selections, but yeah, I agree with you here just to be intellectually honest. I think Aziz will open the season as a starter, and he very well could hold on to that spot all year long, but I'm very excited to see what Nolan Smith can do as a a sophomore now. He's got a year in the system. He's got a, a year in the weight room. Well, Obviously had some time where he wasn't on campus with his whole coronavirus situation, but he also posted a bunch of videos of him back at home doing some workouts, so he's trying to keep himself in shape there. And Jermaine Johnson, man, he did not miss a workout. I'll tell you that. That guy is jacked up. He's had some really, really good weight. He's bulky now, much bulkier than he was last year. He was too thin last year at times to really stay on the field and defend against the run. We, we use him a lot in third down packages, getting after the passer, but he's a guy that's bulked up enough to where I think he could potentially – get in there and take some snaps away from Aziz Ojolari in that role because I think he's big enough to play against the run now as well and still be effective as a pass rusher. So those guys are certainly coming on, but I think Aziz will open the season in that spot, which now takes us to the secondary, Curtis. So we're going to go with the star position. Really the big two options there are Mark Webb and Tyreek Stevenson. Devon Wilson would have factored into that equation, but he decided to transfer out. He's now at UCF. 
I'm not sure if you guys have media eligibility or not, but they have a game against Georgia Tech this weekend, so go Golden Knights. Let's see you pull that one out. Let's see you just put half a hundred on. That'd be awesome. But anyway, it looks like it's going to be Stevenson or Mark Webb. Webb was the guy last year. Curtis, how do you see that battle playing out? Who's going to open the season? Um, Stevenson's definitely going to push him, let's be honest, but I would go with Mark Webb to start. Yeah, to open the season, Mark Webb is the guy that Kirby trusts. He's been in this position almost you know, two years now. He's had this job and played it a, a lot of snaps. At least He was the full-time starter last year, started some games at, in 2018 as well. So I think he's the, the safe bet to open the season, but Stevenson's going to push him, like you said, Curtis, throughout this entire season. I think he's more talented long-term than Mark Webb, but right now Mark Webb's a guy with experience, and Kirby really leans on that in the secondary. So open season, I'm going to go with him. I think Stevenson will be the money and he might start taking some snaps away from Webb at the star as the season wears on. But to open, let's go Mark Webb. And that takes to the cornerback spot, Curtis. This is really a, a three-man battle there right now. We've got Eric Stokes, DJ Daniel, and Tyson Campbell there. So, Kurt, of that group of three, who are going to be the two starters at cornerback? I'm going to go because it seemed like – I don't know what exactly was wrong, but it seemed like Campbell didn't practice in the last scrimmage. Um, so I think I'm going to go with DJ Daniel and Eric Stokes to start. Man, here I am agreeing with you again. Yeah, I think you've got this one right. I think Eric Stokes is going to be that guy. Guys, I think DJ Daniel, towards the latter half of last season, I think he was our best cornerback. And I know that Tyson Campbell is a guy, in my opinion, has the highest ceiling of the three. But he missed a lot of time last year with an injury. I liked what I saw from him earlier before the injury. And he started to kind of get back a little bit late in the year. But right now, you're right, Kurt, especially since he missed the, the final fall scrimmage. We don't know how serious of an injury that is. I don't think it's anything major. Kirby didn't seem to think it was. But that could be enough to, to push Daniel over the edge there. And so I'm, I'm going to go with Eric Stokes and DJ Daniel in those spots. But I think all three guys are going to play. And that's some of the, something that could be interchangeable at both positions, honestly, throughout the year. But let's go with Stokes and Daniel to start. And that leaves us with the safety position, Curse. I think this is an open and shut case with Richard LeCount and Lewis Seen. Is that how you see things at safety? Yeah, I, I, don't, I think there's no question it's Lewis Seen. Yeah, right now, I don't really think there's anyone even pushing him or LeCount right now. Looks like Chris Smith's getting some reps there at the number two spot at safety. We're also we're cross-training a bunch of guys, Mark Webb, Tyree Stevenson. They're all getting some reps back there because we just don't have a ton of quality depth at safety right now. That's one position on the field where we don't have as much depth as we do all over the rest of the defense and a lot of the offense as well. But all right, guys, that's the first question. We spent a lot of time on that one because, hey, we had to cover both the offense and the defense. But real quick, before we move on to our next question, I got to take a minute or two here to remind you guys about our good friends at MyBookie. College football is officially back, guys, and that is an incredible thing to say after this long offseason of uncertainty and just not knowing whether the thing that we all love so much was ever going to be back. We didn't know, but it's back, guys, and that in itself is awesome, but what makes it even better is that you can go to my bookie and use your knowledge of all these teams, the knowledge you get here on the Glory UGA podcast, and you can make some money while you're sitting down enjoying yourself on college football Saturdays. Not only is it college football season, but it's also winning season, and it's back at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season at MyBookie means watching live sports and betting live. College football is back. You guys know that. The NFL is back now for their opening weekend. The NBA is entering the home stretch, entering the conference finals here. There's a lot going on, guys, so get in on the action 
Use promo code OVERTIME and you can double your first deposit. I mean, that's that's real, guys. They will double your first deposit if you get started today. And if you're new, you can get up to $1,000 in free play just designed to add more excitement to the games. So bet with the best this football season for your chance to win big. Again, just use promo code OVERTIME. That's all you got to do, and they will double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. And just to add, guys, just to remind you again, as I did earlier in the week, OVERTIME, the company we, that we're partnered with, they're going all in for our listeners this football season. We're giving away $500 in cold, hard cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. Really, guys, all you got to do is make your deposit. When you make your deposit, take a quick screenshot of your MyBookie account and just email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. And $500 given away to one lucky winner at the end of September. So you got about two weeks left. Guys, take advantage of that. That could be 500 bucks easy in your pocket. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to our second question. We've got a ton to get to. Now, we're going to go a little bit quicker with the rest of these questions, guys. So stick with us here. We're going to try to get to every question that was sent in. And I think this these next two questions are from a listener that has actually not sent in a question to us for our mailbag episodes before. I think that's correct. And that is Z. We appreciate it, Z. Thanks for, for uh, participating with us today, man. And what Z asked, this first question, he asked, what are the odds this could be the greatest defense of all time? Not just the greatest Georgia defense, Curtis, but the greatest college football defense of all time. I'm not ready to go there because I still think to this day it's going to be hard to beat the Miami from you know the two, early 2000s when they had all those guys that literally went to the pros and were superstars. Um, while we have a, you know, a great defense, especially with Kirby Smart, how everyone does their job, you don't have all those superstars that stand out and can make those super flashy plays like what you had back then. And that's the only reason I say no. I'm going to partly agree with you, Curtis, and partly disagree. I do agree that it's going to be tough to say this is the greatest defense in the history of college football after this year. I think we can be elite. I think we can be the best defense in college football this year, but the greatest defense of all time, I don't know. Now, you said it was Miami. I think it was the 2001 Miami defense, and there was a ton of NFL players, just just talent all over the field in that defense, and they were great. I think, however, that the standard, at least in the modern game, would be that 2011 Alabama defense. I mean, just look at some of these numbers, Kirby. They were number one in yards per game allowed, number one in rush defense, number one in pass defense, number one in scoring defense. They only gave up 183 yards per game that season, gave them only 72 rushing yards a game. This is crazy. Only 111 pass yards a game in 2011. And I went back and looked at the numbers, guys. That's the fewest pass yards allowed by a defense in the last 12 years. That's elite, man. That's in, that's beyond elite. And they only gave up 8.2 points per game in that 2011 season. I mean, we were really good last year. Again, I, I told you guys before, I think we were the best defense in the country last year. And Ohio State had an argument there as well, but I think we were the best defense in the, in America last year. But even as good as we were, we gave up 275 yards a game to Bama's 183 in 2011. Now, with the rush defense, we were right there. They gave up 72 yards a game in 2011. We gave up 74. Pass defense is where we really got to improve a little bit. We gave up 201 yards per game in 2019. Now, that wasn't terrible. I was about, right about 30th nationally. That's the one area defensive that we can really, really stand to improve. And we were also the best scoring defense in the country last year, only giving up 12.6 points per game. That's still four and a half points per game off that Alabama defense from 2011. And the thing is, guys, 
We might have players. I don't know if we have the players that were as good as all those studs on that 2011 Alabama defense, but we have a lot of really, really good players. But offenses have evolved and changed and innovated so much in the last decade since that Bama defense in 2011. I'm not sure any defense in the future of college football is going to really touch those numbers. I mean, 183 yards per game, 8.2 points per game. That was kind of just before you started to see this explosion offensively at the college ball level with all the innovation, the RPOs, tempo, all those things. It was still rare. There were a couple of teams doing it. You saw Rich Rod's teams trying to do that, but it wasn't as widespread as it is now. So many teams have incorporated elements of those offenses into what they do offensively. And I just don't know if you're going to see those numbers again because offensive football is just different. It's just different. You have to adjust for that. But I think we're going to be really, really good. I'm, not, I'm with you, Kurt. I'm not ready to say that we're going to be the best defense of all time. That would be awesome. And I don't ever, like, I don't like to speak in absolutes. I can't say it's impossible, but I don't think that's likely. As much as I would like it to be likely, I just I just don't think it is, especially based on offensive change and improved and just become more dynamic and explosive over the, over the last 10 years. All right, so next question from Z. And this is an interesting one, Kurt. I really like this question. Would you rather have two 1,000-yard receivers on your team or a 1,000-yard receiver, and a 1,000-yard running back. Kurt, which one would you prefer? I'd probably go with the 1,000-yard running back and a 1,000-yard receiver before I would two 1,000-yard receivers. Why would you go with that? Because you have to have balance. I mean, a lot of these teams, if you look throughout it, they may have you know multiple 1,000-yard receivers, but you, especially when you get into these big games, you have to be able to do everything. And I think that you have to be balanced well enough to do it like that. Yeah, it absolutely all comes down to balance. There's no doubt about it. Guys, if you want us to be more explosive offensively, like I do, like you do, Curtis, like you also want us to be, we all want us to be more explosive offensively, especially after what we saw last year. But guys, explosive plays, it's really simple. It comes from putting defenses in run pass conflict and you need both elements to really be able to generate the explosive plays against the best team sure if you're playing the austin peas of the world you can just outman them and you can just go out there have your best receiver run a nine route and, and you can put up a ton of points you can be explosive you can you can just hit some big plays in the run game because you're just bowling people over on the offensive line you're just getting great movement that happens you get explosive plays that way but when you're playing really good teams the teams that we're gonna have to beat to get to the playoffs and win national title like we eventually want to do like maybe even this year that would be awesome you've got to be balanced enough to put their defenses in run pass conflict because that's the only way to consistently generate big plays explosive plays against the best defenses because the reason is guys it's simple a defense they only have so many players they only have so many resources to work with out there they cannot completely defend against both the run and the pass at the same time they're going to be more vulnerable one place or the other unless they just physically outman you at the line of scrimmage and if we are as good as we think we are and that we want to be hopefully we're not getting physically outman at the line of scrimmage so if we're balanced like that if they if we're running the ball down their throat they have to adjust their defense and put more guys in the box and put more attention towards the run game then you're going to see more man coverage opportunities on the outside you're going to see more middle of the field closed looks with a one high safety which means you're gonna, again you're going to have opportunities to hit some more explosive plays down the field and once you start to hit those explosive plays you put them in run pass conflict well they got to adjust again now you're going to see more two high safety looks you're going to see more cover uh, quarters coverage you're going to see more cover two things like that where you're not going to be able to get as many guys in the box as consistently as you would if you had those middle of the field closed one high safety looks so that's what it's all about. That's it, it's, it's as simple as that. You just got to be able to do both. And two thousand yard receivers would be awesome. But I I I take the, the other one. Give me a thousand yard receiver and a thousand yard running back. 
And I, I think we're in business this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there, Kurt. All right, next question here. Uh, this is from Jonathan. And I think this is, a, this is an important question, Curtis. We're all obviously very excited about the coming season. You and I have talked a lot about the potential for this team throughout the offseason. But Jonathan, he, he asked a very reasonable question here. What are your realistic expectations for this season record-wise, especially when you take into account year one of a new offensive coordinator and system and a new starting quarterback? For Georgia specifically, um, I think that a 9-1 and one regular season is very realistic for us. Okay, with my answer here, I, I don't want to reveal too much as we're going to be running our preseason picks episodes early next week where we're going to pick this the record of each team in the SEC East and the SEC West. We're going to pick the conference title game and the champion, the eventual champion. So I'm going to save a lot of this for that episode. So be looking forward to that. But I will tease a little bit here. I do agree with you that I think 9-1 and one is a very reasonable and realistic expectation for this team. I I think Alabama is going to be a very difficult game. I think it's winnable, as I've said many times through the offseason. I'm not just going to chalk that up as a loss. Like you do, like when you go through and you're, and you're trying to, you know, you're making your win total picks for each team. And let's say the Georgia's win total is like nine, right? Well, you're going down the schedule. And, you're, and what I like to do is, okay, what are the guaranteed wins? What are the guaranteed losses? What are the toss-up games? I know for a lot of people, Alabama's a guaranteed loss. I don't see it that way. I, I see it kind of as a toss-up, honestly. And maybe you lean Bama a little bit, but I think we have a really good chance to win that game. It could go either way right now, especially when that stadium is not going to be full. But if you look at the rest of our schedule, I think we're better than every team on our schedule outside of maybe Alabama. I, I, I truly believe that. Now, I do not like the fact that our schedule is front-loaded, especially when, as Jonathan says, when you're working in a new offensive coordinator with a new system, a new starting quarterback. I think you would be naive to not have at least some level of concern about our offense and uh, having a new quarterback, whoever that might end up being, and just the quarterback situation in general. I think you'd be naive there. But I've said this all offseason again. Look, I, we were terrible offensively last year. All we need to do with our returning defense is to be moderately better than what we were last year on offense. If we can just improve by small degrees offensively. Look, guys, even as bad as our offense was last year, we were a double overtime loss away to, to a terrible South Carolina team. I still can't believe that happened. But we were a double overtime loss away from South Carolina at home from still being in the college playoff as bad as our offense was the last half of last season. So if we can just be mildly better than what we were offensively last year with the defense we have coming back. I think we're going to have a chance to be a major contender as well. I think 9-1 is realistic. We'll see if that's going to be my final prediction, but I certainly believe that's realistic. I don't see as, I mean, I think 8-2 and two could also be realistic. I don't know about 7-3. and three. I don't, I just don't, th- I just don't think there's enough teams on our schedule that are better than us. I mean, we could certainly have a game like we did last year where we lose to a South Carolina when we just don't play well, a game that we should never lose. It happens. and we, it's, we've, it's happened a couple times under Kirby Smart. But I, I just don't think that's the likeliest outcome. So we'll talk more about that next week. That's a good question there. All right, next up, we got a question from Justin. Uh, Justin asks, with no spring ball and overall offense, lack of returning production and all that's going on with the quarterbacks, I think it's crucial that we get our guys as many live game reps as possible before the Auburn game in week two. But since Kirby and Sam Pittman are friends, do you think we take our foot off the gas early against Arkansas or does Kirby and Todd Munkin go pedal to the metal so we can get as many kinks out as we can before week two? What's your take on that, Kurt? I think they'll keep the pedal to the metal, but not to the point that they risk injury because that's just stupid. I mean, as much as you want to get game time reps, you also don't want to hurt your the rest of the season. Now you're seeing it in the NFL or even some of these, especially the NFL, if, if you watch it this past weekend, just how quickly these players are getting gassed, 
without the preseason and, you know, everything being cut short. So they're going to try to get the players as many reps as can because they need to build up their endurance and things like that. And But they're also they're not going to show their hand completely, and they're not going to keep them in there for injury. So I think it just depends on the score of the game, really, on how much they do it. I mean, I don't see them pull, you know, pulling out completely and just going to a, a run, running the ball the entire time if we're up to a certain point. Um, I still think they'll be aggressive, but I don't think that they will be clueless with the personnel. All right, this is one that I'm going to disagree with you on a little bit, Kirk, because I think you got to look at Kirby Smart historically as a head coach and what he's done with guys, with head coaches that he's close with or, or friends with to some level when he's had a chance to run the score up on them, even if it's in our best interest to put a lot of points up on SEC opponents in order to put ourselves in a better position to get a college football playoff bid, you know, just for, for style points, that kind of thing. He just doesn't do it. Think about Will Muschamp. I know last year we didn't have a chance to do it, but in previous years, the past couple years, he has had plenty of opportunities to put big upside-down numbers up on Will Muschamp, South Carolina's teams, and he just didn't do it. He has not done that because – there's, he kind of operates with this kind of code of honor among coaches, where hey, if I know you, man, like I don't want, I, I I don't want to embarrass you, I don't want to embarrass your your players. Like you guys work too hard, we just don't want to do that to you. You're my friend, I'm not going to do that. Kirby's a good guy like that. So if you look at history, I would say no. I mean, I think Sam Pittman, him, he and Sam obviously coached together for a number of years. They're pretty tight, and I I just don't think he's going to try to run the score up on Sam Pittman. Even if our guys need a lot of work, I, I I think we probably should and not do it maliciously, but just keep running our offense because you're right, Justin. I totally agree that we need some live reps, especially with no spring ball and and the in the brutal stretch we have to open the season after this Arkansas game in Week One. I think we need to get our guys as many live game reps as possible, especially whoever it is at quarterback is going to need some reps. So you got Dwan Mathis, who's never taken a snap in his life at the college level in an actual game. You've got also JT Daniels as the other main option here, who started pretty much a full year but hasn't taken a, a snap in over a year after injuring his knee, tearing his ACL in that first game of the year last year against Fresno State. So I think I would keep my offense in. Obviously, you don't want anybody to get injured, but I would keep those guys in and get as many reps as I possibly could. Just run your offense, not try to actively like run trick plays to run the score up, like not that kind of thing where you're rubbing it in somebody's face. I think there's a difference. I think you can still run your offense and try to get your guys some work without doing it in a malicious way where you're trying to to really show up the other team. But I, I just don't think Kirby's going to do it. I just I haven't seen it from him, and I don't think we're going to start to see it in week one against Arkansas, if we get the chance. That's assuming, obviously, we have a chance to do that to Arkansas. I hope that's the case, that we're in that position. But who knows? You know, First week, no screen practice, new offense. We'll see how things work out. All right, next up, we have a question from Trenton. We really appreciate this question, Trenton. And Curtis, this is something that you and I have, have touched on at times throughout the offseason, but it's great to bring it back up here once again and kind of bring it all full circle. And what Trenton asks is, what can we do to get more sacks and pressure on the quarterback? I know this has been something that's been frustrating for a lot of fans, including myself out there, that uh, when you watch the Georgia defense play, as good as we've been, we're still not getting a high number of sacks, really not pressuring the quarterback as much as you see some other teams do across the college football landscape. So, Curtis, to change that, what can we do to get more pressure, to get more sacks, actually get the quarterback down on the ground? Well, first off, it depends on the quarterback you're facing because there are a lot of, I mean, especially the way offenses have changed now. You know, you have a lot of mobile quarterbacks and it's hard to just go on full out blitzes. 
because if you lose containment, you're in a lot of trouble. You're losing the game. So I think you have to take into account who we're playing. But at the same time, a lot of it comes down to also how much do you um, trust your DBs. And I think this year we have a lot more trust in them because you have a lot more experienced guys, no matter who's playing at corner. Um, all those guys have experience starting. So I think that they will trust them enough to stay more in the bump and run, which Kirby likes to run. And that way you have more ability to create havoc bringing those crazy blitzes and things that you've seen Kirby Smart do in that. Yeah, and look, I, I've talked about this at times throughout the offseason, and really to me, this is all about a schematic philosophy. This is about what Kirby Smart thinks is the best way to structure his defense to get the end result, right? The end result that he wants, which is stopping teams from scoring. Because really, that's what it is. Like, sacks... And pressure the quarterback, it's all great. We love it. We love to see that kind of thing. We love to see the numbers. We love to see guys get after the quarterback. But at the end of the day, sacks and pressure the quarterback, it's a means to an end. It's a tool that you can use to get you to the end goal, which is to stop other teams from scoring. And guys, I know that our sack numbers have not been stellar, and that's an understatement. But you know what has been stellar? The end result numbers, the actual production. We were the top scoring defense in America last year, even though we were way down in the SEC and in the nation in sack numbers. So we were able to get the end result. It would get where we wanted, ultimately, through different means. Kirby just thinks there's more important things and more efficient means to ultimately help you achieve what you want, which is to keep offenses from scoring. That is the name of the game defensively. You want to stop them from getting yards, and you want to ultimately stop them from scoring points. That's how you win football games. So to him, it's much more important to have structural integrity defensively, to not give up big plays, to be able to stop the run and make teams one-dimensional. And that's exactly how we structure our defense. We rarely bring more than four guys. Now, we do at times when we get in third down situations. We'll bring five sometimes. We'll bring six rarely, but it happens at times. You can't just sit there and only bring four all the time because you can become too predictable and offenses are so sophisticated nowadays that they can, they can attack you. But... Even though we typically only bring four, the offense never really knows what four are coming. That is what Kirby has really done a great job of, and Dan Lanning as well, is using simulated pressures where, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, and I've detailed this before. Just think about us on third down, right, where we have a couple of defensive linemen down the field. We, we kind of bring in the pass rest defensive line specialist. You're bringing like Trevon Walker. You might have Malik Herring out there. You might have Jermaine Johnson down with his hand in the ground. And then you might have, uh, let's say, Adam Anderson and your third down inside linebacker, Nicobe Dean. They're both up there on the line of scrimmage mugging the A-gaps. And you don't know who's coming. You got like, And you got the, the, the star or the money on, out there on the perimeter, on the edge. He's showing that he's blitzing. But all those guys aren't coming the vast majority of the time. We just don't really do that very often. And at the snap... All of them will drop out except for four guys. You just don't know which four guys are actually going to come. And that makes it very difficult for quarterbacks to kind of read what we're doing. But we just don't bring a ton of pressure as much as other teams. And we will at times. Not as much as like a Todd Grantham defense. Because he's obviously the most one of the most blitz-happy guys out there. We don't do that because we want to be able to limit teams from getting big plays. It, 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 here's another part of the philosophy. The idea is, very simply, that if you force a team to go down the field 12, 13, 14, 15 play drives, that you have a much better chance of stopping them along the way than you do if you just give up a 70-yard touchdown on the second play of a drive, 
right? Because if you make them go 12, 13, 14 play drives, then the chances are, it's just math, right, guys? There's more opportunities for them to screw up somewhere. You have a better chance to get a stop on third down somewhere. There's a better chance for them to turn the ball over. Something bad happened, then get a, a negative play, which puts them behind the chains. It's just hard for an offense to consistently go 12, 13, 14 plays down the field and put up points on you than it is to hit those big plays and start putting a lot of points up. So we really try uh, and Kirby's evolved over over the, the years with this. We're trying more than, than he has in the past to keep a too high safety look, middle field open. That way we can kind of give help to, this, to the corners. Forever he was really big, especially Alabama, on press man coverage on the outside. And we still do a lot of that, but he started to realize that keeping those guys on islands consistently with a with a single high safety look with a cover three look there with only one high safety, well, somebody's gonna have man coverage on the outside. And if they get beat, now, they might not, get, might not get beat very often, but against elite teams, if they happen to get beat on the outside, that's going to be a big play for a touchdown. It's a really good chance. So we're trying to keep those two high looks, those two shell looks as much as possible. And if you bring bodies, if you bring a lot of bodies, let's say you're bringing six guys, it's just numbers, guys. It's just math. You have 11 guys to work with out there on defense. If you bring six of them, that means you only have five guys in coverage, uh, as opposed to if you bring four of them and you get creative on, on how you decide who's coming and what, what, what that actually looks like. Well, you can still drop seven guys in the coverage and be structurally sound on the back end and keep teams from hitting those big plays. And that is why we've been so, that's, to me, that's the biggest reason we've been so good on defense is we have required teams to go the length of the field to score us. We do not give up a ton of big plays. We just don't. And that's why our scoring defensive numbers have been so good. So uh, look, we can, we could get more sacks and more pressure on the quarterback, but absent a philosophical change, I don't, I mean, I guess the, the way to do that, I think one thing that we do need to work on more consistently is being able to convert our, our run defense up front to pass rush more effectively. We're, we put such an emphasis on stopping the run that sometimes we don't do a great job once we recognize that it is pass, converting that to a pass rush. And we also, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to see more pressure on the quarterback, we need to win more one-on-one battles because, again, we rarely send more than four guys. So I think we need to be more consistent in winning those one-on-one battles, whether it's Aziz Ojolari, Nolan Smith, whether it's a guy on the interior like Devontae Wyatt, Jermaine Johnson also on the outside, we just got to win those one-on-one battles more often than not because I just don't think Kirby's going to change philosophically because honestly, why should he? Again, the end result was elite last year. It was the best in the country. So I I know that's probably not what people want to hear, but that's kind of just how I look at that situation. All right, and we've got time for one more question today. We will definitely get to all the other questions in our show tomorrow. I, I wanted to try to get to all of them today, but... We only have so long of a window to record here, and we also want to make sure that we give just due to all these questions that are sent in. So we got one more for today, and we are going to close it out today with a question from Exactly on Twitter. And he's a great follow on Twitter, guys. So if, you, if you're looking for some good Georgia content on Twitter, I strongly encourage you to follow him there. Uh, and what he asks is, if there was a game this Saturday and Dwan was named the starter, what exactly would you want to see Todd Munkin do with him at quarterback, personnel-wise and scheme-wise? This is a great question. You guys know I'm a sucker for the X's and O's. But Curtis, I'm going to let you start us off with this question. I'm going to give you the honors here, my man. So what would you like to see us do with Dwan Mathis if indeed he ends up being the starter at least for week one? I think a lot of things I would like to see him included in the run game because I think that while he's not the fastest guy, I think he's mobile enough to almost like a Joe Burrow type mobility. 
Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you in that I want to see him involved in the run game heavily, but I, I would slightly disagree with you and say that I think that he is much more mobile than Joe Burrow. And, and sure, I'm not going to say that he's like a necessarily a 4-4 speed guy, but what I saw from him, I know this is back in 2019, but at that G-Day in 2019, I saw a guy that was absolutely an explosive runner from the quarterback position. I think he's certainly more of a true dual threat guy than even Joe Burrow was. Burrow was a mobile guy, but I wouldn't someone classify him as a dual threat guy. I think Dewan is that guy. So yes, I do agree that I want to see him involved in the run game in a variety of different ways. But I, I think that's that might be his strength right now. Yes, he has a really strong arm, but I, I don't want to shortchange him as an athlete. I think that's really where his strength lies right now as a quarterback. But it, being a little bit more specific in terms of what kind of run game I would like to see with him, I want to see as innovative of a quarterback run game as I possibly can. And look, with Todd Munkin, I have to say, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. I, I have faith in Todd Munkin, but if you look at his history and you look at his resume... As strong as that resume is, he really hasn't worked with a quarterback like Dwan Mathis before, a dual threat type guy, and hasn't really built an offense around that type of athlete at quarterback. I'm not saying he can't do it, but we just haven't really seen that yet. So I think it still remains to be seen what exactly it will look like. Again, I have faith in Todd Munkin as an offensive mind, but he, the fact is he hasn't really built an offense to feature a quarterback like Dwan Mathis. So I'm very interested, and to be perfectly honest, Probably also a little bit nervous to see exactly what that's going to look like. But the kind of things that I would love to see, obviously your basic zone read, that that's old school now. But it, hey, it, it still works. It'd be really nice to actually have a quarterback who when you run a zone read look where you are reading off the backside end and you do not have anyone blocking him, it'd be nice to have someone who can actually pull the ball and run when he just crashes down with reckless abandon on the tailback for a tackle for a loss. It'd be really nice to have that. I think at the very least we have that with Dewan Mathis, but I like to see more than that. I want to see a lot of quarterback power, uh, the GT power that Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley have really popularized over the past couple of years, what they kind of killed us with in that first half of the Rose Bowl a couple years back. And, then, and they've only added to that arsenal since then. They've really done a lot of different cool things off that base guard tackle power. We basically have the guard and tackle pulling. You can run the counter power off that, a lot of different things. You can attach RPOs to it, which I would really like to see us get involved with, with Dwan Mathis. And, and there, there has always been a kind of misconception when it comes to RPOs. Yes, they did originally come to popularity through those kind of spread-based attacks with mobile quarterbacks. I, I guess really the first time people really caught wind of and really took notice of it was was that, that kick six game against Alabama when uh, was it Nick Marshall kind of pulls it there, looks like he's going to run the football off of his own read, and then he just tosses it out to the receiver when the cornerback crashes to take him away in the run game, and it's a, it's a big touchdown there. So uh, it was popularized there, but really where RPOs have become so effective, it's when you don't have a mobile quarterback, where you can still kind of put the, the defense in that option conflict. Because if you don't have the mobile quarterback and you can't really run the zone read, well, if you run the RPOs, you're still leaving a defender unblocked. That's what makes the zone read so difficult to deal with is because you're leaving a defender unblocked and you're optioning off of him. Well, if you don't have the the mobile quarterback to make that possible in the run game, well, what you do is you just implement the RPO and you option off of a linebacker or uh, a star position player, or it could be a safety. Depends on on who you read. There's so many different variations of RPOs. You can read different levels of defense, read different guys. But if that defender that you're reading crashes to take away the run when you put the ball in the belly of the running back and you show that play action fake, then you just pull the ball and you throw it over his head. And the reason that makes it so difficult for defenses to defend, obviously the, the offensive line is still blocking run, which so that so they read run, they attack run. 
But when you are able to leave a guy unblocked and you do end up running the ball because you're optioning off of him, that means you get a numbers advantage in the box. And if the guy gets kind of hesitant to take that run and he stays back in his patch of responsibilities, he's a step slow getting the line of scrimmage and getting to his run fit, well, that's when you start gashing teams in the run game. So it's very, very effective for for teams that don't have mobile quarterbacks. But when you do have a mobile quarterback and you implement RPOs, essentially what you're creating is a modern triple option where you have the option to hand off to the running back. You're still reading one guy at first. You're reading that first guy and you have an option to hand off to the running back on, let's say it's a zone read look. And if if the defensive end, the backside defensive end crashes, the quarterback will then pull it. And then he goes to a second read. And that's usually going to be the, the, the cornerback or the star or it's the safety, depending on whoever that overhang defender is out there on the perimeter. If he leaves the receiver to take the quarterback in the run game, then the quarterback just tosses out the receiver. If he stays the receiver, take away that kind of triple option toss, then the quarterback keeps it. And, and he's got room there to operate. So I would love to see things like that. I would also love to see more bash plays, which is kind of what stands for back away, which is kind of like the inverted veer. Instead of reading the back backside defensive end, you're reading the front side defensive end, or sometimes it's a front side defensive tackle. Those are some things that we showed that at times last year, but Fromm just would never really pull it. And if you have a guy like Dwan Mathis, then absolutely you can really hurt some teams with things like that. And of course, in the passing game, I want to see heavy doses of play action off of all of that. All the numbers out there, the percentages go way up with your completion percentage, your yards per attempt when you are throwing the ball off of play action. I would love to see us implement a lot more of that. And uh, Louisville is a team that I was watching last week, and they had some really innovative stuff with Scott Satterfield as their head coach running out of the diamond formation against Western Kentucky last week. A lot of really cool misdirection type stuff with the mobile quarterback with Mikhail Cunningham, a strong running back and also some really good receivers as well. So I'd love to see us incorporate some of that kind of stuff and just be innovative when it comes to the run game. I think Dwan Mathis can be a difference maker in that regard. And it really also, for a young quarterback who's getting his first action in an actual college football game, it also will take some of the pressure off of him in the passing game because if you use his legs like that, you're going to get some looks off of play action where you're going to have more man coverage looks. And I think those easier reads will be a way to kind of develop a comfort level with him and kind of just ease him into his first action against Arkansas. So that's kind of the direction I would take it. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We really appreciate you guys tuning in today to check out this episode. And really in general, guys, we just appreciate all of your support. We really do. We know there's a lot of different options out there for you guys to check out this time of year with the college football season now well underway. The SEC season set to kick off here in just a little over a week. So it's certainly humbling to have any of you listen to us, and we really do greatly appreciate all of that support. And you guys know we've got you covered all the way throughout the rest of this college football season. So what we've been waiting for. It's go time, and we've got you guys covered. But we will be back tomorrow with part two of this final preseason mailbag. We've got like 18 questions, almost 20 questions. Actually, I think now we got a couple more sent in as this show is going on. So we've got like about 20 questions to cover through these two episodes so we'll get to the rest of them tomorrow if we didn't get, did not get to yours today we will get to it tomorrow i assure you of that but thanks for listening guys for curtis i'm tyler and as always go dogs <laughs>